0: I don't want
1: a pickle. pickle. Just wanna ride, ride on, on my motorcycle. motorcycle. Yeah. Hello, everybody, and welcome. This is the Nokomoto Podcast. I'm your host Moto GP. With me is your other host Swiggy. Yep. And as you heard from the delay, we have our third host with us, Junkie, from the Creative Writing Podcast. Also.
2: Yeah.
0: Also.
1: Now you'll Moto note, One. Moto One podcast reject, I might add. Yeah. Now, you'll notice I didn't say which number episode this is. Junkie, do you, or Swiggy, do either of you guys know which number episode this is?
2: Uh, no.
0: I know, but uh, under a recent Moto One podcast network contract that I had to sign, I am not allowed to speak uh, for other podcasts. So I'm not allowed to say. <laughs>
1: So we're at episode number 86 coming to you. I I totally could have told you that (laughs) coming to you as always from Moto one podcast network studios, suite, a top floor. Now we just got a fireplace in here. So if you hear any crackling in the background, that's just our Tootsie staying warm in this fall, weather we're getting, although it was another one of our 300 days of sunshine we get every year here in Northern Colorado
0: now, if you're crying, it's me because they took away my desk.
1: Wait, they took away the creative writing desk?
0: I have to hold the mixing board now while we're doing the show.
1: Yeah, like that's <laughs> the only piece of furniture you guys had. Yeah, yeah. It was
0: BYOC for I, I was bringing my own uh, pit chairs, the same chairs that we throw down when we're at Willow Springs. And now they take away my desk. It wasn't
1: even a very good desk. I mean, I never yeah, saw man, it in person because I wouldn't go down to the basement. But, I mean, someone showed me a picture once. It was like a piece of
0: particle board nailed to an old
1: tree stump, and they took it. I know. And that table only had two legs.
0: Yeah. Uh, we balance, my, my two legs were the other that made up the other half of it. I mean, it was literally like the worst piece of garbage. It was hot garbage, as you guys say there on Nokomoto. And they took it. So now when I do it, I have to hold the burning hot mixing board on my legs along with the other leg holding the burning hot PC because the power cables down here are like Euro spec. And it's like pumping in 220 into the – I don't know. I'm just – I'm broken up about it. But I'm glad you guys got your fireplace.
1: Yeah, that's pretty nice. OK. <laughs> so <laughs> – um, Moving on, let's do a table of contents for this one. We are definitely going to do our best worst bike like we always do. We're definitely going to do some emails. We're going to talk about biker code, and then we'll see if we have time to get to a blitz round of made up motorcycle, son of made up motorcycle, as I want to call it. (laughs) Okay. Are we ready to do this, guys? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So let's start, as always, with the disclaimer. Here's how it breaks down, everybody. Each week, we pick two different motorcycles. Alternating between me and Swiggy, who has the best or the worst bike in the world this week? We do not know what each other have chosen. It's a surprise. If you disagree with the choices that we've made, well, that's okay, all right? You can just simply send an email to contact at podcastcom But remember, it's really just a fun way to look at two different motorcycles in a way that you might not have looked at them before. However, if that's not good enough for you, okay, then you can just re- just keep these words in mind, right? If you If you Google syntax error, I'm upset with the best worst bike on stack overflow. You'll see a response that clearly outlines there's no crying in motorcycles. Okay. So keeping that in mind, we're going to move forward. Swiggy. Now we had a little bit of an issue today where both of us got it mixed up on who had best and worst bike, but we actually both realized with enough time to prepare the correct ones. Yes. Yes. So, so that means you have best bike in the world. I do. Cool. <laughs> All right. <laughs> By the skin of our teeth, we kept it correct this week. Now, are you ready to reveal it? I am. Okay.
2: And the best bike in the world this week is? The Aprilia Tuono v Four Eleven Hundred RR.
1: So I think multiple people have told both of us that we need to own one of these.
0: Well, it's Hey you guys should uh, you guys should buy one of those with all that Moto1 podcast
2: network money you guys are getting. We could get a couple, yeah. Yeah, but
1: we'd have to lose a few interns. But
2: okay, anyway. That's
1: I blow right. a lot of the budget on interns. Okay let's get into what
0: this is. I thought you were going to say I blow a lot of interns and I was going to say that explains, that explains a lot of things.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Way to go there. Okay. So, uh, yeah, the, 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 the Tuono is so like in my wheelhouse, this is the kind of engine I like. This is the kind of horsepower and torque that I like. The the kind of slightly compromised sport riding position that I like, the the way it looks is so good. What what do I not know about this that really pushes it over, Swigs?
2: Well, the thing about this bike is, first of all, the styling is on point, and especially as is as per usual with Aprilia, the graphics game is on point.
1: With almost no bodywork on this one too,
0: right? Yeah, and you've got Wait, the RS 1100 RR has is that it has almost nobody work on it? Uh yeah, the V4 1100 RR. Okay, I'm going to check it out cuz I'm I'm thinking of the wrong one, I think. I'm thinking of that, is it the Tuono? Is that yeah. different?
2: Yes, it's okay. the Tuono. So, yeah, so what you've got on this bike is kind of somewhat t- standard Italian styling. It's a bit of a twin spar frame. It's got some extra weird bits on it. It's got this weird sort of bikini fairing. It's got a single-sided swing arm, And what makes it really, really cool is the fact that it's absolutely ridiculous in the specs, and especially for the price. So it's a V4, ccs. It's 160 horsepower, and it's 80 foot-pounds of torque. Yes, and it gets away with this incredibly well because it's kind of pulling a a Ninja 636. It's broken out of the perceived class and just run amok with the with the extra displacement and still tuned it up. It's something it's still something ridiculous like 12.8 to 1 compression. Like and I think the factory model is like thirteen point six to one, and it does it in a way that it doesn't break the bank. Because brand new, this bike is fifteen and a half thousand dollars. Nice. So yeah, you're you're paying because
1: uh, for any like uh, super bike, any leader super bike, you're paying that or a little bit more. In fact. Yeah. for the same performance, but out of a one liter instead of the 1100. But this does a few really cool things. It, it's it got the standard handlebars. So it's a compromised sporty ish position, but you can ride this all day. Yeah. It's got some body work, but it's really half fared. Kind of like my super Hawk is it's not fully fair, but it's got some body work. Yeah. I'll tell you what this bike is. It's so, cause this, like you said, the, the styling is very Italian this bike is so douchey. It's broken through to the other side and become cool again. It's this bike to me is like if an FZ one started hanging out on the Jersey shore. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Right. (laughs) Is that not what it looks like? Uh, I like it. I like, I mean, I do too, uh, but you have to admit you've all like the, the type of this. So this bike, you look at this bike and you think, I probably don't like the guy who's riding this bike, but you're like, but if I rode it, it'd be different. That that's how I feel about it. I'm like, dude, who has a two, I don't know if I hang with that guy necessarily, but I, why, I don't know. We'll see. Right. We're going to find out. Right. Cause the bike's rad and, are any other bikes currently doing triple headlights?
2: Um, I don't know.
0: I can't think of any right off the top of my
1: head. That uh... I mean, so this bike, you know, going with the Jersey Shore uh, thing here. <laughs> I mean, it's got all the like the blingy requirement things right now. Right. So you can call it a naked bike and you can call it a standard. You can call it all the things that are currently very popular, and it's got the inverted Olin shocks and they're gold anodized, and it's got the Brembo's, right? And that's all your your necklace and jewelry hanging around you. It's got the um, anodized rims. That's all your rings and shit that you're wearing, right? It's got Aprilia all the way across, like, the tank, the frame, and the front bodywork. There's your tribal tats. Like, it's very... <laughs> It's very Jersey Shore. <laughs> I,
0: I I see where you're going with this. I do want to say if the FZ1 was on the Jersey Shore, it would be like the skinny, fat, tall dude, right? And if like a Kawasaki Z1000R came up, he would be the legit, dude from jersey kind of scrappy maybe he came up from philly who knows no well, no this is but, the
1: fc1 after it's been given the jersey shore makeover
0: yeah but this is like a real italian showing up to the jersey shore talking to those people that were quote italians on that show quote, oh right shore. i see
1: what you're saying okay yeah yeah, Man, yeah maybe that yeah which makes sense i mean it outclasses this bike does outclass other bikes Kind
0: of quietly, and it's got as much torque as a friggin' like 1900 CC American V twin, you know, and I mean, it's
1: torque like a fucking steam train. Yeah,
0: I think I saw one of these pulling coal through Pennsylvania in the 1700s. You can edit that
1: out. (laughs) Staying in. Okay, so what else can you tell us about this? Uh,
2: There's really not much else to say because there's not much else that needs to be said. It ticks all the boxes and what, but what this bike also says is you're not playing into a class and you're not competing in a class. So you're not trying to shave ounces off and try and have the most horsepower for a one liter bike. You're not competing against anything else. It's just rad and that's good enough.
1: It's awesome for the sake of awesome. Right. It doesn't need to be necessarily like a, 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 like the lightest bike in the class. It doesn't need to have the most horsepower in the class, the most torque. It doesn't need to be the best price. It doesn't have to destroy to be like a spec sheet winner sort of thing. And it's in many just ways, awesome in so, everything generally to be yeah. awesome.
2: And in many ways, and it, those spec, you know, the, the spec winners are awesome in their own right. But there's also just the element of... Yeah, not playing to a class. Just make a bike that's super rad. Yeah.
0: I I feel like the FZ1 is saying, hey, I could be a sport bike, but I'm a sport tourer because I'm not good enough to be a sport bike. Where this thing is just like, I don't have to pretend. I don't have to have clip-ons like the other, uh, you know, quote, sport bikes. I am cool enough to be whatever the hell I want. I don't have to pretend that I'm a sport bike by saying, Oh, I'm a sport tour. I don't have to say, Oh, I'm a sport bike by having clip-ons and rear sets. I can be this and it ain't nobody going to touch this. You know what I'm
1: saying? You yeah. can edit that out. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. Now I've seen these in person and they are rad in person. This is one of those bikes that looks exactly in pictures as it does in person. There's nothing lost. Somehow this bike photos perfectly. Nothing is skewed. Nothing is hidden in the photos. It's this awesome in person.
2: It is. Also, re- just a quick reminder here. Remember to clip Junkie saying you can edit that out so that we can <laughs> insert it elsewhere. Right. are right. <laughs> uh, Don't yeah. worry.
1: I plan to say that
0: after everything.
1: You can edit that out. So this might be the shortest, best bike in the world we've ever done, because, I mean, with – I I guess the only question is to ask is, if we're building this whole motorcycle Jersey Shore, what kind of motorcycle would Snooki be? God. Uh, She would be a
0: clapped-out EX500 that was – had some (laughs) uh – With luggage. Yeah, <laughs> a gimme <give> <laughs> bag, and but like some new like Ninja ZX14 fairing slapped on it or something. There we go, nailed it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. If there's any bike that I want to say I twisted the grip and this thing punched me in the fart box, it's this thing. It's not an FZ1, it's not a Z1000, it's an Aprilia 210 V4.
1: There we go. All right, you can edit that out. <laughs> we want to go to worst bike in the world. Let's go. And the worst bike in the world this week is the 2000 to 2001 Kajiva V
2: Raptor. You can edit that out. (laughs) (laughs) Is it this guy? Yep. Oh, my. Okay. Is there does this share any lineage with the Katana? No, I was actually going to say the. Uh. The, the leaf cutter ant, the the multistrata one thousand DS. No,
1: well, no, no, not really. Sort of, but no. Okay, so what are we dealing with? Now, this
0: looks like a one one thousand DS for dick
1: sucker. <laughs> you can edit that out.
2: <laughs> <laughs> this is this is kind of somehow intriguing yet horrifying at the same time.
1: So this motorcycle is confusing from beginning to end.
2: Now yeah. it's beginnings are
1: somewhat promising. It starts with, so the guy, and I can't remember his name, but the guy that designed, cause it's a crazy Italian name. The guy that designed the Ducati monster came up with this bike. Now in the original version, if you just Google the Kajiva Raptor, one thousand.
0: Yeah, I was bummed because I was like, "Hey, I like the Kajivas and the Raptors weren't bad looking, and I didn't even know this monstrosity existed."
1: So the regular Kajiva Raptor is not considered the horrible failure that this one is because even though it was a initially okay seller, it it, it turned out to not be that great of a bike. It never really got a big following. And it okay if you look at it, you can see how the guy that came up with the monster came up with this bike as sort of the next step.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of bikes that are that are kind of awful, but then immediately went over to a manufacturer that could put something together that made sense and had the parts in the supply chain to make it work. And then all of a sudden, it's amazing.
1: So this was at a point where Kajiva and Ducati had splits. Again, I mean, the whole timeline with that's crazy, but MV Augusta had just kind of become part of that family. Now, a lot of people claim that the Raptor never took off because too much marketing, R&D, and all of that went to MV Augusta instead of Kajiva. And this was supposed to be the motorcycle that launched Kajiva into being a major manufacturer rather than just some weird name. People only know about in Europe. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Mission, mission not accomplished. (laughs) So what this has is a 996 CC L twin out of a Suzuki TL 1000 R. So those are good okay. bikes too.
2: That's a good start.
1: Okay. Except they detuned it to, depending on who you talk to, make 8 to 35 horsepower less. I, I couldn't find anything reliable on the specs for this machine. But it probably has a top speed somewhere around 135, probably makes mid to high 80s horsepower at the rear wheel. Uh, They say they tuned it so the torque would come in sooner. Yet they also claimed that they kept the exact same compression, bore, stroke, all of that of the Suzuki motor. So it's possible it was just a bunch of Italians saying that they did things to make the motor, quote, their own, but actually really didn't do much of anything to it.
2: Really just confirming that it's Italian. Right. <laughs> so um now because
1: the torque does come in really quickly and it's a pretty light bike and all these things, the front wheel gets real dancy. And apparently this thing shakes horribly and wobbles a lot, which more than one test rider was able to relieve by removing the rear view mirrors. Hmm. Removing the mirrors? I don't know. I don't know why I said rear view. It's redundant. Removing the mirrors. I, uh, we'll see. Yeah, I, mean, I, I don't know. Now this it is, is, is an,
2: it is an early it is an early two thousands trellis frame. So,
1: yeah. Now there's also this strange issue with it of the name. So the V Raptor was not made for very long. It's unclear what really the run of this particular version of it was. And on top of that, some in some markets, it was called the V-Raptor. And get this for a disaster of a name. In some markets, apparently, it was called the Extra-Raptor.
2: Nice. Yeah, that is. <laughs> the
1: that only is other crazy. thing that
0: you could have thrown at this would be the Vanilla Ice-Raptor. That's the only way you could have made it
1: any worse, So. Uh, the problem was is that the the original Raptor 1000, you know, they poached this guy from Ducati to make this bike that was supposed to compete with the Monster 900 right? So sure enough, let's make a one liter torque monster V twin. We'll make this one liquid cooled instead of the Ducati that's air cooled. We'll get the Suzuki motor tried and true technology. It's all going to be good. The, and, and again, the, the, the regular Raptor kind of looks awesome. If someone showed you the 2001 Kajiva Raptor 1000 and told you it was next year's Ducati monster, you would believe them. You need be stoked, yeah. Right. It, there's nothing wrong with the design of it. It's kind of a perfect motorcycle in a lot of ways, okay. at least aesthetically.
2: Now, I figured it out. Okay. <clears throat> this bike, if you look at the, the pieces of plastic that come over the handlebars from the headlight, uh-huh. this is a styling element I have seen before and from the time. And I'll tell you exactly what it is. Uh This is something that you would see in Italy in the Alps. And do you remember that phase of people wearing those ridiculous, like crazy, like Neo steampunk sunglasses where instead of hooking (laughs) over the ears, they went straight over the top of your your head. head. Whoa. I forgot about those. That's. That's what this is. This is uh, so awful, it must be expensive and therefore good.
0: Do those serve as air intake scoops too? Like the Kawasaki? Remember
1: no. the Kawasaki? No, absolutely uh, not. Okay. Engine-wise, this version of it God really it. isn't any different than the regular I was hoping there'd be the an motor. excuse. No. I think this one is supposedly just sort of specced up with... Uh, so this one... Has adjustable front suspension, which the regular one did not. Which is a little crazy. Neither were ever sold in the states, but they sold in the UK for about eight thousand pounds, which is about sixteen thousand dollars in two thousand and one. Jeez, that's like half the national deficit was in 2001 That's sixteen thousand dollars for a bike with non-adjustable front suspension. Now the, the extra Raptor, which is what I'm, I know it's the V Raptor, but I just love the name extra Raptor. And I think we need to bring this in. Like, I think you should be able to buy a Yamaha YZF R1 extra. Extra. (laughs) (laughs) I, I love it. So this bike was clearly some sort of crazy afterthought of, well, the the Raptor's not really connecting with people like we thought it would. I guess we didn't go far enough. So how do you know? What is the proof that this crazy design? Because this was just like concept artwork for this motorcycle, right? What is the proof that this V-Raptor nonsense was just a last-minute ditch to try to save this? that little front bikini fairing velcroed on shut up there are six pieces of velcro all about the size of a postage stamp and it's just that and uh, the air dynamics the air pressure the wind Uh, supposedly the faster you went it just held it on even for harder like that's (laughs) yeah that's it
0: that's a very the wiring to
1: the lights holds it on as well yeah (laughs) that
0: makes sense it's a very um a suzuki thing to do i was actually gonna i wanted to make two points about this bike and since you're since you alluded to that uh i guess i'll make that my first point is that this bike to me is like when you look when you when i think back as a as a kid to the one of my most beloved movie cars, the Duke Boys 1969 Dodge Charger. And then you look at a da- Daytona Charger or the Superbird. The Superbird is so cool. And it's basically just a Dodge Charger with a pointy front end stuck on the front and a spoiler stuck on the
1: rear. A and, comically uh, and it, large spoiler.
0: Comically large spoiler and pretty comically large front end if you look at it. So I'm looking oh, at yeah. this thing and the, there's that little seat cowl on the back which is the spoiler to the Daytona. And then that front thing that looks like it's a extra out of Bug's Life on the front yep. that looks like it, and you've confirmed it for me, Velcro on. I was, I'm 100% sure that on the Dodge Daytona, they just sheet metal screwed the front of that together with like some self-tapping screws as well.
1: And so then the difference flip, flip headlights. is Richard Petty won a shit ton of races with the Superbird.
0: <laughs> Nobody won nothing on the
1: Extra raptor And let's talk about (laughs) the seat, if we can. It looks like a very 90s-ish, really big, fat-ass motorcycle seat, like was pretty common on performance bikes of the time. But this seat has this really weird, what I can only describe as a hemorrhoid growing out of the middle of it. What is that? Has anyone else seen anything like this in a seat design? They basically went. I have. There's this huge area on the back where a passenger could reasonably sit. There's even rear pegs on this bike. But how is someone supposed to sit on that?
2: Well, that yeah, that that rear piece looks like it's like. It's stuffed leather. Does that come off? Is that Velcro on as well?
0: <laughs> uh, let's just go with yes.
2: <laughs> that or. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it vibrates. Maybe that's part of the. Maybe, maybe it's a feature.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, it is Italian. I've seen this before, though, and I've seen it on a Buell. And I forget the model of Buell, but the rear seat. Had like a look like a racing hump on the back, and you're like, "Wow, that is an a, unusually large hump there on the back." And what the hell, like Eric Buell, were you thinking? And it actually flipped up to be like a backrest pad for when you had a pillion, and then when you didn't have one, you flipped it down. Well, that's on
1: the Ulysses.
0: Is that on the Ulysses? Yeah, that, I couldn't remember which one it was, but I remember the one of the Buells had it right. So yeah, so the hump on the back seat, you're going, "Oh, dude, what's that huge?" weird hump that just looks like it's sitting there and it's because it was hinged. There was no Velcro to hold it on like there was at this thing. You just swiveled it up and swiveled it down. And, and in, in rest mode without a, without a passenger, it looked ridiculous, you know? And then when you flip it up and there's a passenger, it still looked ridiculous, but that's what this thing reminds me of, except for that. It doesn't appear to, um, even aerodynamically, it doesn't appear to have any function whatsoever. I did look up a 2002 Raptor, which was a little bit redesigned still had this ugly front end on it and they actually had a tool that that was off and there was a tool bag like uh bungee corded into there so maybe that's what it's for maybe it's for your knapsack uh, or your bottle of wine you can edit this out
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i don't know it's very suspicious i don't know why it's there i'm just going to come out and say what anyone who looks at this picture of this bike is going to think about this the only reasonable thing that this this could be for is because of exactly where it's positioned and exactly what it is it could only possibly be if it's functional in any way to transfer vibrations to a woman's vagina. That is all it's for. It's <laughs> got some sort of at, like yeah. Sibian style function. Right. Right. <laughs> if you, if you put uh, extra Raptor
0: into Google translate, but don't, you know, you change it to Italian instead of English. I think you got your answer right there. The other point I wanted to make about this bike is that you mentioned that Ducati, you know, the, they, they poached somebody from Ducati to make this. Yes. The Raptor 600 looks awesome. And the Raptor 1000. And then this thing came along. I want to say that like, in, I, I feel like in every like late eighties and early nineties movie, there was the scene in like every coming of age film where like the jocks are picking on somebody. And then one jock takes the courageous stand to go, come on, guys, and he walks over to the dude or girl, guy, whoever it is, they're picking on the nerd character and has a a, a moment of sympathy for that person. And then that person gets uh, a plate full of mashed potatoes on their head and the jock goes walking back to his friends laughing. Gotcha. And I feel like whoever came over from Ducati was like, oh, yeah, yeah, Kajiva's asked me to go over there. Wink, wink, I'm going to go design a bike for them. (laughs) Design, designs this thing and then farts in the factory crop dust. Everybody as he's on his way out the door goes back to Ducati and they all spend like the rest of the afternoon drinking Peronis and laughing at the Kajiba factory. Like look what I did dudes. I got, I put the mashed potatoes on their head. You can edit this out.
1: <laughs> now, by, my closing thought on this motorcycle is it's kind of a good motorcycle in some ways. Now, it yes, it looks ridiculous. But we love ridiculous, right? Yes, it has some handling problems, but the performance and everything, it's there well enough. OK, the, the only times that the the handling problems apparently became really bad was under really hard testing track conditions and things like that. For real world riding, they said, well, it's so torquey, it's jumpy in traffic. But, you know, as a weekend fun bike, yeah, it's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. And people loved that about the Raptor 1000. The problem is, is that because the bike was a disaster, they're cheap. And this is the first time I've talked about a motorcycle being so cheap that it's a problem. These are estimated at a high value in the States now, which they're very hard to find, but there are a few at like $3,000. So this is from the same years as a Suzuki TL 1000 or a Honda VTR 1000. It's Uh, identical specs torque horsepower you know give or take a few points here and there in different categories for the same money that you'll spend on a good super hawk or tl-1000 except you want to talk about parts you cannot get you want (laughs) to talk about (laughs) something goes wrong and
2: you're fucked this is so this could be you could buy a running bike You could buy this as a running bike and you could get it cheap, but it's not like buying an old CB where you can find new old stock of a 40-year-old model. This is... You've bought this cool bike for three grand or this high-performance bike for three grand, but it could just become a paperweight. This seat that is entirely covered in leather, what
1: if that rips? What if some punk pulls off your Velcroed
2: on fairing
1: <laughs> in a parking lot. <laughs> like how you've got you
2: replace this. You've got to take that into your uh into your maker group and just get that 3D scan. Oh also
1: the whole way this so what the, the Italian factory did claim that they did to tune this engine was a completely different computer system for it and exhaust system so if something Mm -hmm. goes wrong there it's not totally like you can't like you know different ecu different everything than the suzuki as far as the software goes you've got to
2: find a wizard yes
0: (laughs) exactly you might find a wizard at your makers local makerspace but this thing also i wonder if, cause I don't remember the TL 1000s having handling issues. And I actually, this thing looks like it has more rake than a TL 1000, which, you know, more rake usually means it's more steady. So there's, Something going on there. And I'm I'm wondering if it's partially that front end because so the other one. I ones-
1: do know that in the initial design phase, it was a 23 degree steering head. And apparently the seasoned test riders came back with huge grids on their faces saying, it's so much fun, but it's completely unrideable. It is dangerous. Don't do it. So they increased it to 25 degrees. Hmm. Uh, But actually, you'll find out that a Honda uh, VTR and a Suzuki TL 1000 actually do have quite a bit of extra rake on them as compared to leader bike inline fours because that front cylinder sticks out a bit further than you think. Mm -hmm. It's kind Mm -hmm. of necessary to make room for that radiator underneath, even though they're on the sides on the Superhawk. But they, they do actually have an extra degree or so on them. I don't know why they couldn't just design the frame differently. There's some sort of good engineering reason for it. I think it has to do with the placement of the front cylinder.
0: Yeah. Uh, and like, yeah, I think it's like in relation to crank and all that great geometry that goes on, all the wizardry that goes on that people like love to mess up when they to start customizing their bikes but yeah that i don't know that i wonder if it has something to do with the front end it'd be interesting to read about the regular raptor with no wind uh deflection just that headlight up front right that's so the other thing i was that wondering apparently about this.
1: really limited the top speed and therefore the okay. spec sheet selling sexiness of the raptor <laughs> and yeah. that was one of the reasons that they put this sort of aerodynamic or nod to aerodynamics on the V-Raptor as well. They Same thing with this the... is good for claiming an extra five miles an hour top speed. Yeah.
0: Basically the Dodge Daytona uh, syndrome.
1: Who would this be if this bike showed up to the Jersey Shore? Well, it has to be the situation. It has to be the flashiest one of the group. I was going
0: to say that too. The one that's the most... Flashy on the outside, yet most broken. And if on the you look inside. at the
1: weird, like sunglasses over the head thing, that could also just be ridiculous swooped back hair. <laughs> yeah, true that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Or the gazelle from the uh, last time I was on the show. <laughs> <laughs> the made up. This would be the the whole antelope porns. Yeah, this thing is terrible looking. It really looks like a something that was inspired from a Bugs Life or any other I Pixar movie about bugs.
2: extra Raptor uh, and just looking at the front end of this bike. The only thing I could think of is that this bike is a time traveler that was inspired by bad dragon dildos. <laughs> 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 but That's just, that's just where my mind goes looking at this thing. This is
1: ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it's something I'll tell you. Um, Yeah, you can
0: edit. You can edit that out.
1: Right. (laughs) This is one of those things that I saw, and for a while I haven't been able to unsee. And like I said, I'm torn on (laughs) this one because I want to like it. There's part of me that if I could, I don't want to own this motorcycle, but I want to know somebody who does so I can borrow it for weekends because it's so ridiculous. It's what? Hey,
0: what are you going to wear on this thing? I feel like there's. I think you have to ride it
1: naked. Oh yeah, and especially your passenger. So they can take full advantage of its sibian <laughs> qualities.
2: Now you need to wear the uh you need to wear like the g string where it, the straps just go over the shoulders. Yeah, that's <laughs> what you need. To wear. The,
0: but in red, like the red Borat. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what do you think that thing on the back is called? Like a speed ridge or like a
1: pleasure? Hump? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know like why it's it's so strange I mean it's obviously supposed to be reminiscent of a sort of cafe-ish you know race seats but how I, I Dude, the uh...
0: the only other thing they could have done to that to make it even more apparent is just like to put a pair of testicles at the end of it back there like it's literally very it's like the most phallic thing of the bike
2: mm-hmm we'll edit that out yeah <laughs>
0: You can edit that out. <laughs> I prefer right. you edit that out.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
1: All right, I think we've covered it. I think yeah. we should just move on. Let's um, let's put a little break in here real quick.
0: All right, we're back with No Podcast. And right now, we're going to go to the mailbag. You can edit that out.
2: <laughs> you got it, Swigs? Yeah, let's go. Yeah. All right, so we got another reply from Jerome, who was asking about potential 650s to purchase to go alongside his Harley. And I nailed it with the advice. So let's go read his reply. It says, love the show, guys. Thanks so much for reading my email, and I really enjoyed the conversation on the bike choices. I agree the naked bike was a good choice as it is less squid-esque and wife-friendly. But I also really like the exposed mechanicals, part of why I love bikes. So, agree with MotoGP, it has to be a Ducati. Brilliant logic, guys. I hadn't thought about it until you mentioned it, and looking at used monster pricing, I think I could swing it. I had already assumed it would be out of reach. May delay me a bit to save up, but totally worth it. Turns out there is a really good indie bike shop around the corner from my office that specializes in Ducati's too. Harley and a Ducati. Hey, and I'm Italian American. So it was meant to be. I just have to decode the Ducati numbering system and start doing the research off to the Ducati forums. But half the, but that's half the fun of this. Thanks again. Regards, Jerry.
0: Wonderful. And he sounds like he could be at home on the
1: Jersey shore. Right. <laughs> yeah so just make sure you don't buy a Kajiva raptor yeah everything should be fine Stay far far away from that although i think it's worth mentioning here i forgot to mention i believe the Kajiva raptor 650 is the suzuki sv650
2: motor yeah
0: and they look pretty bitchin too i mean those things look better than a
1: the- SV650 in my opinion. Look,
2: he's already living the he's already about to live the dream of Harley and yeah. Ducati at the same time. Well yeah, exactly. That's yeah. where he has
1: to go. Yeah. We'll leave it. But I think the point here is that we crushed it with the bike buying advice. And there are other examples of this doing us of of us doing this. Now, the podcast that I think nails the bike buying advice the best is probably front-end chatter, but I want to see if we can get into a little bit of this. I'd like to see more of these emails where people ask us what bike they should get, because apparently every single aspect of of bike choice that we talked about in that email was dead nuts on.
0: hmm I think you really pointed him in the right direction as well, because... When you buy a Harley or a Ducati, those are two of the only brands where you're immediately part of the brotherhood or like the club mentality, the brand, if you will, when you get into those, because, you know, those are the only two that really focus on the brand. They have names for each other's Harlistas, Ducatistas. I think you guys did. You guys were dead nuts.
1: Well, well, okay. So as far as like brotherhood or something, maybe, but you know, KTM and BMW definitely are like a cult then where they're like, we don't, you will stop associating with other motorcycles. We will take you away from your friends and family. Um, Well, I mean, making
0: you, making you a hermit though, is like the complete opposite of welcoming you into the club, you know?
2: Well, I mean, time will tell, but the KTM religion is a little too new. It's, you know, Ducati and, uh, Ducati and Harley Davidson are like, illuminati and the freemasons and ktm is a little bit scientology you know i see that it it, it's too new time will tell but that's kind of where it is right now
1: i agree all right next email
2: all right and i need to copy the text into something that's actually readable because gmail butchered this
0: For those unfamiliar, in 2012, Gmail actually had some litigation filed against them for completely messing up some careers and uh, by jumbling the emails around to make them either non sequitur or very offensive to the recipient. And uh, yeah, many, many heads rolled at Gmail. Good to know. You can edit that out.
2: All right. So this is from Matt, who basically got almost a free 636. Yes. And he has replied and he says, hi, it's Matt again. So after months of spending a few hours at night, wrenching and fixing things, the project ZX6R is finally done. I decided to go with an aftermarket fairing kit because I wanted everything to be just right. After all of the effort I put into it, I must say that I honestly couldn't tell any difference in the fit and finish of the aftermarket fairings from the original ones. All told, this build still is still below $1,300 and I couldn't be happier with how it has turned out. There is one very trick idea that I came up with when thinking about how to finish the gas tank. So as you notice, the gas tank is a flat black. Instead of trying to color match the paint on the tank and put stop grips on it and a tank protector, I decided to have a spray-on bed liner applied to the gas tank. The matte black finish or the matte black matches the seat. It has all the grip you could ever want from your tank, and you don't have to worry about adding a tank protector to keep a zipper from scratching your tank. Also, I watched night Riders, and all I can say is, wow. <laughs> it was like looking into a mirror and seeing myself. I mean, come on. I wake up every day looking to fight the dragon. If you don't want to fight the dragon, what are you even doing with your life? Now, on to a slightly more serious note and a little bit about me. I am a paramedic, and I have been a paramedic for almost 15 years. I have seen more motorcycle accidents than I would ever want to. I know that you two are very safety conscious, and I would impress on you to consider one additional item to ride with. The first is a Cat 5 tourniquet. It's a simple and cheap device that might keep you or someone you know alive long enough for help to arrive. It's less than $20 and about the size of a granola bar, so it's not too terrible to keep handy. These are designed for single-handed deployment, so you can use them on yourself and can also save your riding buddy's life if they were to go down on a ride. A simple Amazon search can definitely get these sent to you, and YouTube can demonstrate how to apply them. I hope that everybody may at least consider this or something like it for the proverbial worst-case scenario. If you have any questions about preparation for medical emergencies while riding, hit me up. I hope everyone makes it home safe. I hate to end on a heavy topic, so I'll leave you with this gem to Google. Suzuki made an SV650 Scrambler, France only. Why don't we have this bike? And tell me that isn't a freaking sweet machine. So, actually, I haven't looked this up yet.
0: I heard a little bit of disapproval. And Pete's voice there, it wasn't, he didn't say anything, but it was a noise that he made with his lips and his teeth that sounds something like this. And that kind of told me, I don't think he approved of the bedliner on the tank 100%. Also, what was this guy's name, Mark? Mark, we didn't ask about you, but thanks for giving us involuntary information anyway and telling us all about your safety regimen. You
1: can edit this out. <laughs> so I would love to do an episode where we have him call in and we just oh, pick great. his brain about
2: being. Well, we should just go back and say he sent us some pictures and we'll have to ask for permission to share these. But this bike looks legit. Uh, th- I, oh, his
1: ZX6R build, yes. his 636 build. Yes. I want to know what the brand is of these fairings. Because, well, it's great, too, because it it's exactly halfway between what I was suggesting and what his original thought was, because they're kind of like, I don't even know how you describe this, it's like an amber gold color, these fairings but the whole bottom half of them is black with a bunch of fake sponsorship stickers. <laughs> so he almost got to the weird club racer look that I said anyway. And it is a brash, very club racery, obnoxious color. So it's not too far off, but he managed to do it in an extremely clean way. So bravo.
2: Also, the tank does look really good.
1: I want to know if this is a tank cover to make it match the fairings. He and said he- it was spray on. Yeah, he said it was bedliner. That's no, I the the bedliner is sprayed on, but the original yeah. tank was oh, okay. blue. Oh, okay. So is this one of those weird tank covers that you put over? Because I don't really have any experience with those.
0: Well, bedliner is a color. Like you can get it in color. So he probably just had black
1: bedliner sprayed no, on. No, it. no, 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 no. So the whole tank was blue. Now the tank is this amber gold color, and then he has oh. sprayed the the back half of it with the bedliner. And like he he didn't buy a new tank. That would that would be like just five hundred bucks of the thirteen hundred alone right there. Yep. Plastidip. But anyway, let's move on to this Suzuki SV650 scrambler. It's pretty cool. And I don't have a good answer as to why this isn't available in the States, because it would sell like
2: crazy. This is this is so this is very clearly not actually meant to go off-road. This is this is a mo- this is a scrambler in modern terms and that it's very much a styling thing than it is a an well, actual. Right.
1: But, you know, the new SV 650 cafe that they've got this year.
2: Oh, this is I would have this over the cafe.
1: Is that the same seat, but black instead of brown? Uh
2: let's find out.
0: I'd like to find out what year this is, too, because I have a feeling this is like the older uh, SV. It's not the new one that came that made a comeback. I'm I'm sure this is probably the old one do you guys remember the SV well the v-strom and the SV were kind of the same back in the day uh, except for what you know the obvious things that are different I saw some guy actually took his SV his his supermoto broke down and so he went and raced supermoto on a SV because it it was like you know a, a styling Q away from a v-strom and so he's like oh i'm just gonna take this out there and he was jumping his sv on the supermoto track i would say a scrambler 650 is exactly what suzuki needs to get in the game um you know suzuki is surprisingly i think they sell less than bmw in the united states for uh you know you think of the jicks are being you know such a popular bike it's not really sales wise right and so if they had a scrambler especially a 650 with all these Herkin 1200 scramblers coming out that you can't actually scramble on. I think that'd be like pretty legit. However, I'm going to assume that this is the old one and they have like no, uh, impetus or even desire to bring a new, uh, scrambler back into a saturated market that's well, probably going out so it's we're going
1: to shit fish. on your point pretty hard here that we're seeing an article of it put next to the new sv650x and it's XV definitely new cafe. because
2: it's the it's the trellis frame it's not the twin spar so it is fairly new
1: I, that is the same seat as well it's just black instead of the S V 650x cafe brown it's the black one yeah it's Got a blue painted frame, every version we've seen with the rest of it blacked
2: out. It's got the anodized wheels. Yeah,
1: this is this is the new SV650. God dang. It's just Europe gets a really cool scrambler. It's like when they got the
0: XR1200 for so many years and we finally got it for like two years. <laughs> and I think the uh, Honda... XR, uh, the VFR 1200 X, I think is still over there. And it was only over here for like one year. They just, they get off road bikes that we don't get here. So there was like a, there was like a weird Yamaha, um, like almost not a flat tracker, but sort of like this weird, like I know it was pre MT before they, named everything MT that was over there as well that had like some weird like super motard but it looked like street hawk mixed with like a supermoto or something that they had over there that was like super off-road capable I think they used it for super moto so I mean they get France in particular gets a lot of cool dirt bikey stuff based on street bikes that I don't know why they never see the light of day over here
2: are you sure it wasn't just a tenere
0: no it was only like a 700 or something like that well, there's a new
2: 700 array. Yeah, a, there's this, a 300 array and a 700 tenere.
0: This was also like five years ago, but it could have been. I mean, maybe they had them over there, and I didn't. Isn't know there a about
1: 250 it. tenere and a 300 tenere?
2: I don't think so.
0: I wouldn't be surprised for tiered licensing because you know there's like a Duke 125 and a Duke like 250 and the Duke 390. Like there's there's like so many different displacements of. Motorcycles that we think are already small in the states, but over in Europe, they're like, well, no, you gotta have a 125 of this, and you gotta have a 250 of it. Maybe there's probably a tenere
1: 125
0: out there somewhere.
2: Yeah, there is something very charming about this bike.
1: Yeah, I I, when I heard SV 650, I wanted to hate it immediately, but I'm realizing now that I've been beaten over the head with weird fake scramblers so much. I just emotionally don't care anymore. I'm like, yeah, sure. SV 650. Why not? Okay. It, it's cool looking. <laughs> Let's go for it. Let's do it.
2: Right. But it, it's almost, it's so not a scrambler that in the, the classical sense that it kind of works for me. It's so far from it that I can't like hate on it because it's gone so far out of it oh yeah it's like if
1: there was a 650 monster scrambler you'd be like yeah this is just to stand next to sure whatever
2: right but, but it still goes down the road yeah and from that it's just a pure just how does it look completely disregarding the scrambler association and i kind of like it it's nice I don't, Have we had like the matching anodized frame and wheels like shown off like this in a way that looks really clean? And
1: I don't know. I would probably take the Bark Busters off and I would probably put regular proper road tires on it rather than these 50 50s and just have a really sort of extra monstery looking SV650 and rock it that way. No, is it? You, cast- you gotta
2: keep the bark busters on, Peter. Are there? Ca- is it Look, cast
1: wheels or spoke wheels? It's, it's for the visual weight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Those things. Those things would be coming off pretty quick for me. But beyond that, I I like it.
2: Yeah. I do you think li- they I took, like it too? Do you Go. think
1: they took a V Strom
0: six fifty and took some of this? Because uh, what size are the wheels? If they're anodized wheels, what size are they? I mean, I'm, I'm sure this. I'm could sure they the
2: same. They're just standard. We-
0: yeah, cuz I was going to say if they're like the 17s it could be off the um the DRZ 400 SM anodized Wango Tango supermoto wheels, but even not, I think the DR I think the DR, the DL 650, the the V-Strom 650 I think might come with anodized wheels on the XT package or whatever, but I mean it'd be interesting if they just took some of that stuff that was universal fit and slapped it on there and made it kind of a SV scrambler.
2: I think they're the bog standard wheels. I mean, they didn't mm-hmm. even bother to reroute the exhaust for high pipes for a scrambler look. It's literally the stock exhaust.
0: Yeah. Are you saying they did what Yamaha did with the bolt and my bike? Is they just <laughs> put a yes. different, <laughs> yes, <laughs> put different handlebars
1: on it and called the scrambler? Only Maybe. a year later, we're less annoyed by
2: it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think they went through to less effort, but. No, yeah, I like this. I think this is a good look for the bike.
1: They put in so little effort; it's cool.
2: Kind of, yeah. yeah.
1: Like a right. teenager's haircut. <laughs> 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 All right. <laughs> <Let's>, <laughs> do you have a Do you have a stinger for this, <laughs> Juggy? To get us to the next segment. Not queued up,
0: but you can edit that out.
2: <sighs> okay
1: okay and we're back as if by magic it was only a few seconds for you but we just took like a six hour break swiggy and i got some massages here up in suite a junkie just sort of listened to our sweet sounds of satisfaction but now we're back on mic and we're going to talk about biker code or specifically the imaginary biker's code, and what we think biker code may actually be in the real world. So, have any of you guys ever actually looked up this biker code that some bikers speak of? Well, I got a handbook
0: uh, when I took the MSF course that had biker code, and I've only ever seen one... Uh, biker code used one. One of those like twenty that was listed in there ever really used. Maybe two at max.
1: Wait, your MSF book had biker code in it. Well, it was a special MSF
0: book only published here in LA.
1: Okay, because so I was gonna say I took the MSF like Harley version and there was no biker code. Well, but, when you're on a Harley, man, you don't need you don't need to validate yourself. <laughs> so, okay, people that talk about the biker code, the biker commandments, or whatever, this is just straight up some hardcore bullshit. Bullshit, and I don't care who hears me say it. Okay. This is pe- now there are very very many different versions of this. I'm sure every MC every whatever has their own very minimally modified version of this thing I have in front of me. So it's you know it's always you know author unknown, right? And like the, like the greatest poems in the English language, anonymous. Yeah, so they all talk about being – what's the phrase they use? Like a a modern-day knight of the road, which is just ridiculous to start with. They say bikers used to share a common bond. There's a lot of like the old days in this, this unspoken code of ethics. Well, clearly not because it's written down here and in many (laughs) other places –
0: Passed down through oral tradition onto paper. Right.
1: And they talk about how, <laughs> you know, they were forced out of their communities and families. They had to become a community and family to themselves. And they would dress weird and greasy because no one respected them anyway. Wait, and blah, blah, There's a lot you, of hardship in this tale. It's a big cross.
2: Are you? Goth re- crossover here. Yes. Yeah. I
0: was going to say, are you reading the uh, IMDb synopsis for Night Riders? Yeah. <laughs>
1: And so, yeah, moving on, um, they've got these, you know, the this is where the code part k- kicks in. So every single one of these starts with, don't take any shit. Apparently, this is a really big part of riding a motorcycle, is not taking shit. And it's weird, too, because they're like, be kind to women, children, and animals, but don't take any bullshit, right? And every version you find of this has to do with something about respect and honor and, you know, standing tall, but be prepared to back up what you say with action. Basically, it's saying be quick to fight. Maybe don't start fights, (laughs) but be quick to fight is what this means. I'm not going to say that's not awesome or whatever, but it's definitely not a great way to just be 100% of the time to just take as a just blank statement for your life.
0: Especially if you're literally on your bike, like you need to take some shit because everything else around you is
1: deadly to you. There's also, especially if you're in an MC, times where taking some shit strategically might be really important. Like, let's say, in courts it's worth just <laughs> shutting the fuck up every once yeah. in a while
0: it's called uh you have the right to remain silent
1: uh-huh yeah for, uh, very very good reasons yeah being quick to fight or not taking bullshit. you know maybe hey, you want to do that when you've been pulled have you over ever- by an officer I've never been
0: in an MC, but maybe when you meet with your lawyer, it's like, hey, you have the right to remain silent, but I'm going to read you the biker code right underneath. That is the right to not take any shit. (laughs) You say what you (laughs) want up there. Look that judge straight in the eye and tell him what you think.
1: Oh, so this moves us to the next one. Never lie, cheat or steal. So, again, there's some version of this in all of these.
2: Uh, obviously, no how, hey! If you go to the biker code, yeah.
0: I mean, if you go to, yeah. Don't. Lie. Hmm. Okay. I have a seriously big problem with this because I don't know what bikers are going by this biker code, but almost every damn thing out there is some form of lying, cheating, and or stealing.
2: Your Honor, I cannot tell a lie. I did sell that (laughs) meth. That meth belonged to me.
1: (laughs) So this never lie, cheat, or steal. And again, all of these things in the biker code are always followed by a paragraph of nonsense trying to expound on this, like what would seemingly be self-explanatory commandments, but no. So in this version I've got, it says this is another way of saying to always tell the truth. Bikers are always the greasy bad guys in the movies, but every real biker knows that his word is his bond. And it's all you have in life that's truly yours. Guard it carefully to be about something noble, for you are a true knight of the road. So basically what this is here for is an excuse to kick somebody's ass. Hey, he lied or cheated or stealed. it. I get to kick his ass cause I don't take shit. <laughs> that's what that's there for.
2: In this much,
0: is like a Jacob's ladder of rules. Like I, I'm, I'm excited to see where the last one is.
2: <laughs> this is sort of, um, this is kind of like MCs moralizing in the same way that, that hipsters expound on the stylistic traits of cafe racers and scramblers. Yeah. It, it, it If you're just browsing, it may seem deep, but there's it's a lot of bullshit.
1: Right. So the next two are hilarious. (sighs) Don't snitch and don't snivel. Again, just two more reasons to to justify violence within this code. Right. What they're saying is people that do these things are less than human and certainly not bikers.
0: Don't lie, but don't snitch. Don't lie, but if someone asks you about something, don't
1: say anything. Just stay quiet, but don't take no shit either. (laughs) Okay. Now, just to really drive home how much of this really has to do with justifying bar fights, the next one is never say die and never give up. And then the bullshit paragraph starts with whether it's in a fight, a debate (laughs) or a business dealings. No matter how bad it gets, the biker never gives up. A business deal, otherwise known as a drug deal, a meth sale, <laughs> right?
0: A gun, gun trade.
1: <laughs> Only the strong survive. So we're just we we're just backing up the tough guy thing here, and okay, and then of course you know because there's always got to be this one thing here right now curiously a lot of these include never giving up and also stick to your guns and i think this is just a way to like put in like oh yeah we're going to actually put say guns in this to remind remind you we like guns you should ride with a gun i guess i don't know and then but they've got help others because there always has to be some idea that you're doing this noble thing, even though you're just riding around wasting your life, right, pretending to be part of some organization or whatever it is, right, and then uh finally, life is not a drill, and I guess this is just to say like d- like some sort of like looking in the mirror and instead of like doing a Stuart Smalley, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough going, I'm badass enough, life's not a drill, no fear. Right. I guess. I don't know. And then again, in every single version of this, at the end, there's always some sort of summary which just lists all of these supposed commandments again with no further clarification on any of the points.
0: Here, Here's what I have a feeling. Here's my take on this is that, you know, motorcycling started in the early 1900s, right? And I feel like this whole list, everything you've just said to me, and the fact that it is anonymous and has no attribution, uh, somebody found something that was written out for the cavalry back in about 1816 to 1825. And everything you said on there, remove the word biker and put in the word like fellow cavalryman or soldier and you're you know the horse was replaced by the motorcycle i feel like every single thing that you've said could be retroactively um applied to like the cavalry of the time that was out there in the frontier before half of the western u.s colorado and california included were even states yet when we were still mexico and uh You know, stick to your guns. Don't, you know, the business deals, you're dealing meth or opium or um, furs or whatever with the French or the natives, all this stuff that you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Scalps, all this stuff that you're saying and don't take no shit, stick to your guns. Literally everything in here, it seems like it was written for cowboy or cavalry back in like the early 1800s, mid 1800s. And, and some douchebag was like, you know what? I'm going to take this and transcribe it to uh, fit my lifestyle. And that's where outlaw bikers came from is not the reality because every single thing you've said in here is like literally a contradiction of terms. It's like uh, back in the day, this could have made sense. But when we're talking about bikers, like none of this is so contradictory and non sequitur. It doesn't, I'm, I'm losing my shit over here and behind the dumpster where I'm now recording from.
2: So, I have a slightly different angle here. What this is, I think, is somebody basically trying to sum up their identity and aspiration as part of an MC in words and just coming off ridiculously shallow. Because a lot of these are like, okay, well, don't be a pushover, don't be a complete piece of shit, but also. Yeah, I kind of like fighting. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm probably a drug dealer at the same time. And that's where the contradiction comes from. And it's all about like spelling out this ridiculous identity that you perceive yourself as having in words.
1: Now, the way that these codes get put into practice, you know, because like every MC has supposedly some really big, long, complicated code of conduct or whatever. And I guess there's, over the years, people have extrapolated all of this out. And now there are these people that claim to be big experts on, like, biker etiquette and the proper way to do things. And you can find YouTube videos of, like, how to respectfully pass an MC on the road, you know, or how to ride in someone else's territory with respect. And all this stuff, right? And they're like, you need to be very careful when you're approaching another group and do certain things to make sure that your actions are interpreted correctly. And There are some people that are, like, way too deep into this. I don't know what their thing is, but there is a certain group of the population that just buys into it, blankly.
2: There's a combination of complete delusion and a lot of motorcycle cosplay
1: right now again as we started with this is all imaginary this is all just yeah grown up make-believe right but i i've been kind of thinking like is there like anything maybe not bike or code but there probably are a few things we can all agree on and we've come up with a few different things right mm-hmm. now All of us, whenever we see another bike broken down on the side of the road, feel a need to help. Right? I know I do. Now, I'm not going to say that you have to stop every single time. But I usually stop. And I'll tell you, Like uh, just a few days ago, I stopped and helped this guy. And um, I was leaving Best Buy. And in the Best Buy slash um, TJ Maxx parking lot, so you know these were tough dudes, was a group (laughs) of sport bikes. And honestly, they seemed, you know, innocuous enough. They they were just kind of sitting there, the bikes running, just talking, doing whatever, looking like they were about to go out and ride together or something. But it was like 9 at night. It seemed like an odd time to be joining together for a ride. But whatever, no big deal. And as I was leaving, I noticed most of them had kind of ridden off. And one guy was stuck and he had he'd actually pushed his bike up onto the the um, the sidewalk and was just sitting there. And I actually drove past him, like left the parking lot, drove out. And I just I took another look in the mirror and I was like, no, I don't think he's just looking at his phone. Like, I think he's. I think he stopped and he can't start the bike or something's gone here. So, so I turn around and I go back in the parking lot I drive all the way around, go back out this one way um, exit again and kind of like pull off in the spot where it's cool. Put my flashers on and I'm walking out to him from some distance. And I'm just like, Oh, the bike quit. Right. And he kind of had an appearance that was like a little bit of a tough guy, but sort of immediately was just sort of like helpless. He's like, yeah, yeah. Won't won't start like, uh, can you hit, you know, that, you know, like sometimes we've all been there where it's just like, yeah, won't start. I don't know, man, I don't know. And so it was an R6, uh, which I could have guessed before I got up close because a bunch of guys in a parking lot kind of taking turns riding around slowly looking like they're about to wheelie. This is kind of textbook R6 behavior, behavior. <laughs> which we'll get into later. Um, but it turns out all this bike needed was just bump started real quick, right? But I bring this up because 50% of the time I do this, I'm burned. The person is just looking at their phone because they don't have a senna or a cardo, or whatever, and they're looking at directions, or someone's been texting them like crazy and they feel their phone going off in their pocket. And now it's kind of fairly common for people to pull over just because they need to check their phone. Well, I've come up with what I believe to be an ingenious system. If you were stopped on the side of the road, and this is a call to action, everyone start talking about this, everyone start doing this, I don't see how this could possibly be a problem. This is, quote, code. If your helmet is sitting on your left handlebar or mirror, it means everything's cool Keep going if your helmet is on the right side of your bike, the mirror, the handlebar, whatever it means please stop, I'm fucked
0: let's say and if you if, you're, do, if oh. your bike's on its side, you better have it you better not have it hanging on that left mirror or I'm just gonna think like yeah
1: <laughs> you're, I'm cool, I laid
0: it down to see if I could pick it up, yeah but I'm cool
1: if you don't have a helmet, I will accept a bandana or your jacket or your vest, whatever your gear, but let's try to keep it to headgear. And I say the left and the right very intentionally, because let's say your bike doesn't have mirrors, or you've got those mirrors that point down, or you crashed, you put the bike upright, but your mirrors broke off in that crash, right? What's almost certain to be there is still the handlebar. And you put the bike up, you put it on the kickstand, which is always on the left side, you turn the wheel, that handlebar's up in the air, you put it on there, it still means I'm fucked. Stop, please. Right? So, if anyone can poke any hole in this, I'd like to hear it. But I think this is the new code for, you know, on the side of the highway, like, yo,
0: needs I, I think I,
1: I think I got one hole. Okay. If
0: you uh, do have your handlebar turned... And the right handlebar is up in the air, but you're cool. It's really hard to hang your helmet on that left handlebar, especially if you're if you don't have a mirror or your mirror is underneath, because then it'll slide off or your helmet's too close to your tank. We need to think of something different. You can edit that out.
2: <laughs> <laughs> this is actually one of those things where should every motorcycle toolkit just come with a little red flag that you can hang off the handlebar?
0: Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I say you lay prone on the ground. If something's wrong, you just lay down because somebody will stop for you. Even a car will stop for you at that point. (laughs) Even if you're just out of gas, you want to get attention. You don't, and and here in California and I'm sure in Arizona and Nevada, when it's 115 in the summertime and I always gear up in full gear. And so it gets hot under there. And I think laying prone on the ground, will get some attention.
1: Well, yes, it certainly will. But I don't know if I feel like just laying down on the asphalt <laughs> on the side of the highway. Especially
0: if the air is 118, the asphalt is probably like 150, right? Right. I get your point. Yeah.
1: Good call. Good call. Also, you're harder to see more likely to get hits. Hit. Uh, <laughs> there's <laughs> right, issues okay. there. So, okay. So how do we solve this problem of you're stopped and you've just got your helmet off anyway?
0: Slowly um, roll your bike out into traffic.
1: <laughs> Somebody will stop. Well, it is always an option just to lay the helmet down on the ground.
0: There you go. Boom. You solved it right there.
2: But how about helmet in front of the bike is fine behind the bike in trouble.
0: You know what? Yeah, because Ooh. you're always you, you're you always coming up beat to somebody. And if you see that helmet behind the bike, you're going to see it no matter if the bike's on its side. You know, no matter what the orientation is, if you see that helmet behind the bike. You know, uh-oh, uh-oh, I I see what is even if you don't recognize it's the helmet first, what is that? Oh, there's something behind the bike. You're going to look at it. I think that's that's what we need. There there we go. Boom, you nailed it. Swigs, helmet behind the bike.
1: Yeah, and then it's not a left or right situation. Yeah. It's just as yeah. simply. So, let's just say actually the helmet's behind the back wheel like like straight behind the back wheel like tucked up to it so there's no mistaking yeah
0: and if there's a head still in it you definitely
1: (laughs) (laughs) and then i guess the only the only other option then is if you're not wearing a helmet um again your your do rag your bandana right is like is like either laying on the wheel or or off the off the license plate
0: your punishment for not wearing a fucking helmet
1: is to lay on the ground Fend behind for the yourself.
0: bike. <laughs> yeah, yourself. Yeah. yeah. If you're not wearing lay- a
1: helmet, you should <laughs> lay down on the ass. Lay on the ground <laughs> behind the bike because you're a dummy in the first place. Okay, there we go. Helmet behind the bike. That's pretty good. There's no way that could be mistaken for anything else. There's no way. Okay, I'm about it. There we go. Cool. All right. So then um, other parts of code. All right. Now these are kind of just like acting like a human being, but even if you're the Harley faithful or the Ducati, or if KTM has, you know, asked you to take a happiness test, <laughs> can we all agree that as part of biker code, at the very least, we will all at least Fane to be excited about anybody's motorcycle that we're talking
2: to. Yes. Even if it's
1: an extra. After? I,
2: I think that the, the standard here should be that if you've just met, if you're meeting a coworker at a party and he's there with his wife, you're going to speak about somebody's bike as if you're there in front of that person with their wife. Like, whatever level of social etiquette is required in your regular day to day life, you need to maintain that same level with somebody when you're talking about somebody's bike with them present. Yeah, it's not that hard. Like,
1: if I'm at a work function and someone's like, I just got a Zoom 125, I mean, it, it helps that my genuine reaction is, Hey, that's rad. But even if it wasn't, I would still go. Hey, man, that's rad, right? And don't let your face betray your true feelings. Like, just do the. Don't
0: do the. Oh, hmm." like when you see somebody's ugly baby when they show it to you the first time, and you're like, "Hmm, "That's a baby." Well, you You just go.
1: As long as you're making an effort, I'm okay if your face betrays you. I (laughs) just want to see everyone at least make the effort. Now, if you're both talking about a third imaginary person in motorcycle, be as hurtful as you want, right? Yeah. Be opinionated (laughs) and passionate about motorcycles, please. But I think as part of the code is we all like, even if you're just totally not into it, right? You you have to you have to go there with people because I think you should. Um Okay, you guys got any other ones? Again, it's it's difficult to come up with these because it's very, it's it's smart not to create blanket rules for your life.
0: Yeah, this is going to be lame, but the, the wave. I everybody talks about it. Thirty uh, percent of the people do it. Twenty seven percent of the people do it to Harleys and they don't get it back. But the wave, and I know the wheel nerds always talk about how they troll people by waving like a friggin'. Uh, one of those little blow up guys in front of a taco shop, you know, like, Hey, look at me. I'm on a motorcycle and you are too. But the wave, I wave at scooters, I wave at Can-Am's, I wave at Harley's. I even give a little wave to cops when I see them. Uh, even though I know they look at me like, you know, especially when I'm on Spamala. But I think the wave is important to say, Hey, like I'm cool with whatever you're doing. Like I'm cool with your lifestyle. This is like count telling your, um, your brother-in-law, that, that was maybe like your sister's third husband, that you're cool with his goth um, trance dancing underneath a bridge. You know what I'm saying? You know that you know the, what video I'm talking about—that viral video of all the goths dancing yeah. under the bridge, the techno, saying, "Hey, dude, we're both on the two wheels, and I'm cool with your your goth dance under the bridge motorcycle over there." Uh, your EX500 with um CX-14 fairings on it, your snooky of motorcycles. I'm cool with it, but uh I just think it's important because it shows like a unity across the board in a shrinking industry slash sport slash lifestyle, whatever you want to call it. So I think the wave is important and very
2: underutilized. Okay, I've got two things here. First of all, confession, I don't wave to trikes. I don't either. And but, I know that makes me a dick. However, I think I think there is a lesson here, which is there's there's another there's a couple angles here. One is everyone should wave, except strikes, except the strikes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put that in the fine print. uh However, it's also important to remember that people are riding motorcycles, and occasionally they're concentrating on riding motorcycles and won't wave back. Right. So there are certain times where I guess one out of four that. just so, yeah.
1: pops up on me and I'm like, oh, shit, I should have waved.
2: So so wave and be enthusiastic about waving and be super jazzed when people wave back. But don't get bummed out when people don't. Yeah, because, you know, hey, you know how you know, I
0: know I'm I'm not that good of a rider. I'll be up here in the canyons on some of the most gnarly twisties that we have here in SoCal and I'll be mid corner and people people will come around and I'll take my hand off and wave. So I know I'm not like, <laughs> I'm, I'm not leaned over at 60 degrees. Like every MotoGP rider, I'm actually probably taking it pretty, pretty easy. But yeah, there are times where I probably shouldn't wave that I still do, but I I'll accept that there are times when people are taken off from a light and they can't pull, you know, they're working the clutch and the, and the uh, gas and they don't have a free hand or you're in a yeah. curve or whatever. There's a
2: yeah. lot of times they are like, I want to wave. I'm looking at you. I'm nodding, but it's like, I can't, I, I, my yeah. hands are so. Occupied. I've had some
1: excellent moments to point shit on junkies so far in this episode. Another great one is if if you are riding with correct body posture on any le- you know public road, you shouldn't have to be leaned over so far that you can't just completely let go with your outside hand on a turn. Yeah, and your and your inside hand, you should be able to just freely move your elbow up and down as well. And your outside hand, you should be able to just pretty much let go. It's really only there just to sort of stabilize should something go wrong.
2: Well, we should Maybe also keep in mind. That. We should also keep <laughs> in mind he's riding an SCR nine fifty, so it's it's already yeah, a dice probably situation. only do about
1: twenty three miles an hour anyway. Yeah, yeah. so
0: yeah i c yeah it doesn't lean over even as far as spamla, which is kind of I could drag knee on spamla not and I can't even
1: there is something about a bike like the uh like those five hundred ha- uh harleys or whatever that have such pathetic ground clearance you scrape everywhere you go and even though you know in your heart of hearts, you're not leaned over that much. It's kind of awesome to be scraping pegs all <laughs> over the place.
0: Not for, not really.
1: Yeah. it. it okay.
0: I'll give you that. It, it, it does feel, you're like, oh yeah, I'm scraping peg. But when you want to turn further, that's not cool. When you, when you're like, oh geez, I'm going to overcook this turn now. Cause I'm was used to doing this on like a better bike.
1: That's the but- experience I had riding the venture at Aim. And then when I came back, the the guy following for the whole trip, for the whole test ride was like, how'd it feel to scrape pegs on that thing? And I was like, honestly, disconcerting. (laughs) Yeah, it's not, it's not, (laughs) it's not as cool as you think. Um, Okay. So I think we've essentially covered like the few basic things that could be or would ever need to be part of any biker code, right? Be enthusiastic and supportive of people and try to stop and help people that are broken down. I mean, that's really all we've
2: said. I think, yeah. You know what? Any biker code that's worth its own, that's worth its salt should fit on a tattoo. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> that's good.
0: Mm. All I right. th- should we stick with number one though? Don't take any shit. I mean, should we keep <laughs> that
1: one in? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, and again, um, yeah. So the biker code is, yeah. Try to stop. Put your helmet behind your back wheel if you really w- wanna make sure people stop. Be enthusiastic about other people's bikes and then wave to everyone except for trikes.
2: And don't be too upset when people don't wave back.
1: Yeah. yeah. Trikes ate bikes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you can edit that out. So uh yeah. All right. Let's put another little break in here. We may or may not come back with junkie. Let's see. A stinger in and we're back junkies no longer with us i think his moto one podcast network supplied nokia ran out of minutes and he sent us a text and he i think he was gonna try to do the rest of the show through text like you know, people sometimes used to do when they ran out of minutes, but I don't think he gets podcasting. doesn't work that way. Also, he mentioned he was going to try to do some Postmates to try to make some cash to load his phone with more minutes. But anyway, we are going to soldier on and do some racing news now, or racing analysis, I should say. Now, we're just going to cover MotoGP um, because this is shameful to say but i've been so busy i haven't been able to watch new jersey moto america yet i'm sure rocket Landers won everything whatever um we're gonna go cover that and give it all the time it deserves rather than me just trying to like speed watch some races or something so now gp let's start with moto e mm-hmm. so we get races five and six this time
2: or is so. it four and five? I believe it's five and six. Yes. Maybe.
1: So it's the third round of Moto E, and it was noticeably better this time. I noticed an improvement in the camera work. I notice an improvement in the microphone work uh, on the side of the track. I notice an improvement in the commentary. I noticed an improvement
2: in the racing. Which is interesting because... There were no practices for this <laughs> track. For that might have races. been
1: responsible for why the races were so good. There was they just had the siding lap. That was it. There wasn't any testing, any practice. You know, they were all on the same tires because why would they choose anything else? Though I don't think they even do tire choices for Moto Week yet. Yeah, they just kind of just put them all out on the track and went have at it. So. It was very much like watching a qualifying session, except it really mattered. So it was like a qualifying session, except in qualifying sessions, people often just pull off to the side and say, well, this lap is shot. I'll let this next person through. That that didn't happen here. <laughs> and we saw some of the first really typical Motoe crashes. Like, and whilst we knew what we were looking at and what to look for in these crashes. And something I didn't notice in the Moto E races before is how these bikes just drop like lead bricks. Yeah. No bouncing, no cartwheeling.
2: Yeah. A uh, horrific high side on these bikes is the rear wheel lifting three inches off the ground.
1: Yeah, now, they still buck because they're big torque and they're heavy and there's a lot of inertia to move to the rider. The rider can still get flung, but, yeah, the bikes don't swing up. However, because these bikes are so heavy, the thought of one of these bikes landing on a rider is nuts. Yeah. Because it will just straight crush somebody's pelvis. And in a way, I wonder if this is going to be the most dangerous class moving forward.
2: Well... I know that they said that they're not going to try to increase the range and the number of laps. They're instead going to go for faster bikes and faster laps. Yeah. So as the technology improves and maybe as we switch to different kinds of batteries and and whatnot and try and lighten the bikes up, I think a two-race weekend is going to become the norm and i think they're going to just try and lighten them up and get them to be to behave more like moto gp bikes.
1: Yeah. And i agree that's a good way to go. And yeah, two races, three races, four races, whatever it is, you know. If it comes to be its own class, i could see it moving to four race weekends. If it's a whole different subscription, if it's a different everything, right? Now we're starting to see the pack split into, you know, the the regular front and the regular back in this. So some riders are starting to figure it out. We've got Ferrari figuring it out. We've got, uh, you know, some other people, Maria Garza. Herrera, Garza, um, a few. And what's interesting is we've got a few people that we thought were kind of ringers thrown in there. Decidedly not figuring it out. Sete now Bradley Smith, people who we thought, oh, they're going to come in, kind of show everybody what's up, and then we'll see what happens later. That's not happening. Experience is not dictating wins here. Weight, size, techniques, none, really nothing is guaranteeing anybody anything, which is a sign of a great series. But. Yeah. Uh, it's also strange because we don't know how many of these names are invested for a long time in this class. Are Is there just a bunch of filler with the stunt casting of Jippernow and, and Lowe's and to some degree Maria Herrera? It, mm, are we waiting until bigger sponsors come on to attract writers uh, with more recognition? I don't know.
2: I mean, the reality is, is that this is kind of a, this isn't a development league in that it's developing players or writers. This is a development league in that it is developing the league itself. So the reality there is that once this really gets off the ground and it matures and it gets some really stiff competition and the technology improves and... The stakes increase, pretty much all but one of these riders, and who knows who it will be, will just be gone in an instant yeah. once that happens. So, you know, who knows who will come out of this, but likely nobody will once it really takes off. And that's just the reality of starting a new league.
1: Yeah. Uh to add to that, I'll add that I noticed they finally added, like we suggested after the first race, they just placed microphones next to the track and picked up the wind rush of all the bikes going by. They used on-bike microphones. Like, hooray! Common sense! Te- like, I, I the, the audio and visual experience of watching the race, a lot more of it was there.
2: Yeah, for sure.
1: And it we they they only had to talk about the noise one time that I counted, like it was right when they started off in the first race. The guy goes, whoa, listen to that noise! And like I always, I just sat there going, Why do you have to talk about that? Just let it naturally be what it's going to be. We understand you need to fill it with an, you know, an ambient, something to do with the machines. You got the little engine where and the wind rush with them going by with the cameras and the mics on the side of the track. That's good enough. Just let it be. The rest of it's going to get filled in with the commentary and the tire squeal and all those little things. And especially when you get, um, What's going to be really interesting is if this does take off, when you get a, a Mazzano crowd at Mazzano to watch it and people really get invested and you start hearing a bunch of the crowd noise filter in on top of it so you get the electric bike whir, the wind rush, and the raw of the crowd, that's a fully developed you know, atmosphere. That's- We're going to
2: get a full-on football chance going.
1: Right. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. When you watch soccer <sighs> soccer's a weird one, but especially let's take like um, NBA, the crowd is so much a part of the noise. Right. And you don't think of that as being an empty sound while you're watching it. You're hearing so much of their sneakers, you know, and the and the ball dribble and all of that. But you're also hearing the crowd. And that'll be that will be interesting to hear that finally make its way in. Because, yeah, they were racing at Misano, and plenty of people were there. But this was also taking place on, like, Friday and Saturday, 9, 10 in the morning, before the Moto3 practices and races. So, it was kind of the mildest possible Mazzano crowd you could have.
2: Yeah. The, the espressos hadn't been consumed
1: yet. Exactly. So let's see what happens when when we get some some bigger crowds going and I'll really be excited for that so let's move on to
2: moto 3 well actually there's two things I want to talk about moto e real quick oh okay and i think it's kind of a, it's the first is one of the things that were that was as everyone's really starting to figure out how to ride these bikes one of the things that's really starting to show is that all the lines are ridiculously telegraphed because of how heavy these bikes are that it's everyone is riding in bullet time through the corners because nobody can really change course all that much. You know, there's always a situation where somebody on soft tires can overtake somebody on hard tires on the outside and do something crazy. Or somebody who's really saved their tires can do something crazy, but it's not really the case in moto e because the bikes are so heavy that once you've picked your line going into the corner it's just not changing unless somebody stuffs you on the inside and you're going to yield nothing will ever change and there's so much time to react that it's kind of it's sort of it's almost glacial through the corners right now and i feel like there's a there's a couple things going on here one is just the bikes are so heavy because the batteries are so heavy. But also, there hasn't been a dedicated tire for the Moto E class yet. And I feel like this is something that I kind of want to see explored. I feel like it's not even going to happen next year. It's going to be the year after that somebody really starts putting some investment and attention into this. But it's something to think about is, are we going to have multiple competitors or multiple manufacturers for batteries and for tires come in and for the bikes and the frames how are they going to spin this off from the ego league into a proper electric uh you know formula league
1: well if panasonic got involved as a sponsor that would definitely shake some things up yeah Uh, you know, I don't see how that could hurt them. I mean, it's really their main business. If you look at all the things that they do, it's the biggest thing that they do.
2: I feel like the one thing that actually needs to be standard that they can only be one manufacturer for is batteries. There needs to be like one guaranteed battery supplier. I'm cool with two tire manufacturers, but there needs to be just one battery the same way that everyone runs the same fuel. Okay, I'm with you there. Uh,
1: It should be someone really big, though, like Tesla or Panasonic, like someone who's like on the very edge of like, okay, we can make a custom battery designed for whatever the fuck.
2: Right. And then it becomes a matter of, for the tires, do we need to have a tire war in Moto E? Or does there need to be like some sort of off-season shootout? I kind of feel like a tire war is sort of a bad idea, but I kind of want it to just accelerate and get competitive really quickly as well.
1: Okay, so I've got it. We need half-season contracts for tire manufacturers. So the first half of next year... I like that. First half of next year, it's Michelin. Second half, Bridgestone. After the end of the season, discuss. Because guess what? The beginning of the year after that, it's Dunlop and then it's continental and what and we're gonna do this through like five manufacturers i'll give shinko a shot i go i don't give a fuck right and we're gonna see what works and what doesn't
2: pause oh my god
1: yeah, and and we'll learn something, and the writers will definitely have feedback, <laughs> right? Yes. And there's already so little practice time and whatever. It's kind of just what writers can persevere through weird conditions and come out on top anyway right now. Yeah. In in order to make the next decade of electric motorcycle racing better, can we keep the early seasons being weird for an extra year or two by doing these half season contracts? Because you can't expect the manufacturers to do this for like two rounds, four races, right? You've at least got to give them six to eight races to work with minimum, yeah. right? So half season contracts for tire manufacturers. Also with a requirement that they have to pass on the notes to the next manufacturer. They have to be completely transparent with data.
2: So another element here is just for the batteries. This is where we really tie this in to the, the consumer market, which is they should be forced, whatever battery manufacturer, whatever battery supplier they have, This is where we need to start transitioning and we need to aim at some point in the future to a sort of universal battery and they should pick a consumer semi-universal battery or at least a battery that's available for other uh, manufacturers to buy so that then we can start moving towards this model of, hey, you're not just developing a frame for racing, you're potentially... Developing a frame for your own electric bike to sell to consumers on the street. I mm-hmm. feel like there needs to be that tie in there as well. Yeah. Okay. Even better if they can be swappable batteries so that we can actually do warm up and siding laps and not freak out and have to plug the bikes in.
1: Well, I like the swappable batteries because. I'd like there to be two kinds of races. I like the I like the the two-race system that's been going that's been shoehorned into this year cuz they lost the early rounds. But I'm also open to the idea of having a year where they just do one race and it's a flag-to-flag flag with battery swaps.
2: Oh, you can't swap bikes, but you have to swap batteries. Yeah. I like it.
1: Yeah. I think that would be really fun. And there is no reason that can't be done.
2: I'm trying to think of all the ridiculous contraptions they'll come up with for swapping the batteries.
1: Especially when pit stops and all of that are such a part of auto racing, which are vehicles that clearly have more tire technology and better range. But they just inject it because it makes races interesting.
2: Now, normally you're the purist here, but... I'm almost kind of a little hesitant to go with that idea because motorcycle has always been kind of this super purist thing where there's no refueling. There's no tire changes. Most what of the are you time, talking
1: about? It's all over TT racing, Isle of Man, all that stuff.
2: Uh, I mean, but normally, especially... In, in
1: GP racing, yeah. it has traditionally been, unless... In the modern era, weather dictates flag to flag. It's been, yes.
2: Yeah. Unless it's purely for a tire change. It's one bike, one rider, one tank of fuel, you know, one set of tires, no radio, just go see what happens.
1: Well, and endurance racing like Suzuka and, and all of that. They, you know, pit and change riders. But yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Mm. But again, electric racing, we don't need it to just be an electric equivalent of gas racing. We need to figure out what electric racing does better than gas motorcycle racing and focus on that. It doesn't need to be a replacement for gas bike racing because that's a losing game. Figure out what it does better. And I think the battery swaps and the pit stops is just a built in plus. Just add that level to it. Yeah, fans don't have a problem with it it's the only fucking thing that makes Formula 1 sort of interesting
2: yeah <sighs> in fact
1: Formula 1 has to invent silly rules like you're required to use all of the different tire compounds throughout your pit stops in an effort to make something happen
2: you have to pick two different tires and you're you're, you're required to do one pit stop it's bullshit, yes, and the fucking bullshit mario kart d r s system, but you know you know yeah. i'm I'm already upset let's let's <laughs> yeah. just move
1: on, okay, so moto three, everybody
2: crashed, <laughs> oh my God, this race was absolute carnage, and I've said it multiple times, and I'm gonna say it again, oddly. Moto3 is too slow to be safe. They need to have faster bikes so that drafting is less of a factor and so the grid can spread themselves out more, especially just even on the first lap, in order to get a little bit more space, spread the pack out a bit more, and just lower the risk. Because how many of these races have we had in the last, like three years. We've had at least 10 races where more than 10 people have crashed out.
1: I feel like it was still like this in the one two five two two stroke days. I think Moto 3's, you know, the junior class has just always been this way. And yes, people love it.
2: The 250 and the 500 class were that way at those times.
1: Oh. Uh... Like, Nah uh, no, I feel like the premier class always always did a pretty good job of you know having their standout winners and everybody else and I, I don't know. I don't know.
2: My my I feel like it with a little bit more power, allowing the grid to spread out a little bit more because you can't overcook the tires on those bikes. It's they're just too good because they're made too well for that class and really they need something to spread the pack out a little bit and just not have it be this ridiculous okay but
1: see this is where i become the traditionalist again i love the idea of super minimalist racing with the smallest conceivable engines for what we're watching. If we could get, you know, because the tracks are so big and so long, right? We can't do 50 CC racing anymore at this level, but if it were possible to create these much smaller tracks that everyone else could still see and not get gypped, you know, with their, their tickets, right? I would be down to watch 50 CC four stroke racing or whatever, I love the idea of people, you know, remove all of the horsepower advantages, remove all of that. And you just want to see pure skill, luck of the draw, you know, playing a small factor of it. But over the course of the season, the cream rises to the top, you know, 16 year olds hanging on like flags. I don't want to get rid of that. But I get why 400 twins would be a great idea. And commercially, it would inject huge life and really legitimize the smaller to mid middleweight class that's emerged things like the Ninja 400 and the R3 and all of that yes. it would really legitimize those bikes and boost sales for them but i love 250 singles as a ground pre racing class i if it had been if if this whole time Moto3 was 400 twins, would we be sitting here going, oh, my gosh, this class has these problems? Wouldn't it be great if we just went old school to the smallest conceivable engines that could produce 50 something horsepower, 40 something horsepower, you know, that will just barely hit 100 miles an hour and do 250 singles just on the very edge of exploding? Wouldn't that be amazing?
2: No, I don't think we would. And the reason well, is, I at least would the, the reason is that even in super sport classes, on the, all the same tracks that the superbikes ride on, which are the same bikes that the junior classes are riding on, there's it's still way less horsepower and torque than the super sports that are already trying to carry more speed through the turn. So, really, the bikes are already just completely underpowered for the size of the track. I mean, to a degree. I mean, obviously, there's room for for lines and rider skill and all that, but it's underpowered to a degree that drafting plays a hugely significant role to the point that the grid somewhat rubber bands in that all the riders kind of stick together. And especially when you get later into the season where everything gets really desperate, where there are riders who are, you know, you've got 17 year olds who are like, Oh fuck. I'm about to lose my contract in moto three. I've got to make something happen right now. And in the middle of a race, just overcook it. And all of a sudden you have 14 people crash out of a race. Like, it's insane. It's fun to watch. It,
1: it, it's fun to watch, but... It's not the purest sport sometimes, is what you're saying. Yeah, I get it. I think we just sort of accept that all the riders are younger, and they're in a class that's just a bit chaotic, and that's just sort of part of it.
2: Right. But, you know, it's always going to be fierce competition, because there's always these new riders and... Some are going to rise to the top, some aren't. And, yes, it's a little bit chaotic, but it doesn't need to be the Hunger Games. Like, <laughs> Hunger Games. Like, okay. it doesn't need to be this brutal. All right. And I feel like there's a little bit of a safety factor here that needs to be considered.
1: Okay. All right. Well, we're running out of time. Let's move on to Moto2.
2: Uh-huh.
1: All right. So Moto2, nothing happened. I mean, literally nothing. Okay, Marquez's uh, championship lead grew by three points. Except for Luthi not crashing out this time. The the top group was exactly the same as it was in the last race. Uh, Marquez not crashing out, all that stuff. You know, last time we said this made Marquez and Moto2 instantly the most interesting class right now. Well, that's still the same because, well, nothing really
2: happened. Well, this is a, this is the part of the season that I feel like a lot of people don't calculate correctly, which is like, you know, when Marquez won his fairly tight season against Dovey, people are like, oh, Dovey gained ground on Marquez because he finished a place ahead of him and gained like three points. But you really have to redo the math here. Because Dovey has to, you know, Dovey had to gain a certain number of points per race to overtake Marquez. And if he was under that average, it's actually more of a gain for Marquez. Right. In the same way, that's kind of happening for Alex here now in that. The status quo or him only losing a couple points per race.
1: Is actually a huge
2: win. It, yeah, it's a huge gain.
1: I, okay, I'll concede that that. It, it, the overall outcome of the race is just a little bit more towards Alex Marquez winning his Moto2 championship that he's needed to win so badly for years. But there's enough rounds luthie can win it, win it back. It's still an open championship. It's looking good for Marquez, but it's definitely not sewn up like it is for Mark. Or, uh, you know, it, it's not, it's the still the most undecided. Well, mm. you know, we've got to see what happens. Um, I I'm still, I'm going to look forward to the next Moto Two race as much as I looked forward to this one, but this was like, I've said this before about races, and this was like how GP was before Silverstone, where I said, you know, every once in a while you're watching you know, your favorite TV drama, and there's just like a an episode where two characters are locked in a room together for the whole episode, and really plot-wise for your show, nothing happens. This was one of those races.
2: Yeah. It was a character-building episode.
1: Exactly. And and that's really all I can say about about this round for Moto 2. I wish I could say more, but that's really all that happened.
2: Yeah. All right. Let's move right on to GP then. To GP. So this was a pretty interesting race in that of the top five finishes, four were Yamaha's. Incredibly uncharacteristic of this season. The commentators are really big on
1: pushing this narrative that Yamaha has fixed their problems. I don't think they have.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was, I mean, this has always been a super Yamaha-favored track. But also, it was, I don't know, I mean, really, this isn't so much a Yamaha-favored track as the Ducatis are complete, Trash. Oh
1: yeah, they're they're castrated here completely. Yes.
2: And and Renz crashed out. Yeah. That's really what happened here.
1: Right. Now Quadraro did show up with the goods, fought for that second place hard, and won it. I don't think he was ever going to beat Marquez. I know it looked like it. Marquez, I think, thought, okay, you know what? We've had the last six rounds in either Moto2 or GP, someone just hanging behind the leader, learning something about their new competitor, and then pulling something out on the last lap. And Marquez, after getting cheated out, not cheated out, but beaten out on the last two laps, and because of the way Mark Marquez's mind works, globally humiliated Twice in a row, he was never it's more like
2: four times in four times.
1: Okay, whatever. But yeah, yeah, Mark Marquez can't accept just that he's destroying the championship, right? And that's just how his mind works. Whatever. But he was really going to take it hard if he didn't beat Quadraro. So he made sure he sat behind him and took notes on how he took every single turn and planned out every spot he could fight him and overtake him on the last couple laps and it was really obvious to me but what was also obvious is that Quatraro was running a very impressive race leading it really well when he has almost no experience leading GP races on last year's Yamaha arguably the worst, okay, no, the KTM's the worst, and the Aprilia is even worse than that, but one of the worst GP bikes of all time. Right. Now, yes, with a lot, a lot of Middle Eastern petroleum dollars pumped into that bike, sure.
2: Uh, isn't Patronus Southeast Asian?
1: It could be. I don't know anything that has to do with petroleum goes back to like yeah, Saudi it's Arabia. Whatever. Okay. It might be a bunch of Saudi money. that's operating in Malaysia.
2: This is a rabbit hole. I'm not. Willing okay. To it, doesn't <laughs> it doesn't
1: matter. It doesn't matter. There's a bunch of oil money pumped into this bike. It's as good as last year's Yamaha can possibly ever be, which yeah. is still nowhere near Repsol Honda. Right? Right. That's just a reality. But this is the most promising thing that Quadraro has done yet. In an already impressive rookie career. But I still want to remind everyone. You know, best of the rest is still very good. But don't run away with it just yet. Because Zarco did a lot of things like this in his rookie year. Also, he crashed more often. It's true. But... I I still need to see a win from Quaderaro. I'm still waiting for it. It will yeah. come. It will come. But
2: I I feel like he's got the goods. And outside of a wet race, when was the last time we saw a satellite bike win a race? Um, Crutchlow. Right, and at that point, and that was
1: a current year honda
2: yeah it wasn't a last year's model it was it was a satellite team but it was essentially a factory bike
1: well it was the current year bike but with some of the newer parts Um, right it was a it was a 98 99
2: factory bike but that last two percent is important anyway right so this also, this brings up somewhat of an interesting point that I'm considering, which is, it's a little bit conspiratorial. Nice. Okay, so if, so, okay, so we've got a lot of, we've got a lot of chess pieces about to move at the end of this season. we got to think, is Rossi going to retire, or is he going to do one more season? We've also got Lorenzo leaving Repsol Honda. We've also got to think is about, that decided? Uh I believe he is going to Avincia. What? Or he's or not Avincia. What's the what team is uh Primac? Or Primac, yeah. <sighs> so now, now here's the thing to think about. If Honda just wanted to win the manufacturer's cup. It's kind of a no-brainer. It's like, well, just grab Quattro if he's not already signed to Patronus. However, really, Yamaha has to be like, hey, you're already kicking ass. Do you want pretty much the same bike, but just better? Come to uh, the factory Yamaha team.
1: Honda cannot get Quattro because he and Marquez would split points.
2: Well I have well my theory is that here here's the conspiratorial angle here which is Honda is in a posi- in this position where they've got their Rossi who they're hanging on to for a long time which they should and are set up to make this dynasty and it was almost kind of a bad thing in hindsight when Um, pedrosa came second every time against marquez in the 2014 season right because marquez is po is poised to surpass rossi and become the greatest of all time on statistically yeah. yeah statistically so in a way if they can they're somewhat motivated to sandbag Their second bike, yeah. Whereas if they just wanted to be the best team, absolutely, it would make perfect sense. Try and sign Quadararo, right? But I don't think they will. I agree. So who are they gonna pick? Mm. Because it kind of doesn't feel like you know sniping Morbidelli. Or Rins makes a lot of sense.
1: I I would not be that shocked that if Alex Marquez wins the Moto Two Championship, that there's I wouldn't be shocked if there was already some sort of weird. I mean, we we all had ideas of the Marquez Marquez Repsol Honda team a couple years ago, and we all abandoned that train of thoughts because Alex Marquez imploded for like two and a half years straight. And we kind of never really liked him in the beginning cuz we never really got to figure out or know who he was and we didn't really see him go through any hardship. He was almost sort of racings um uh uh like the like the Wesley Crusher type.
2: Uh, he he you're was losing me.
1: Okay. Let's start this again. So we didn't like him for a multitude of reasons, but he was just someone we were introduced with and like a ill-conceived superhero had no flaws, no nothing. He's just another Marquez. He is son of Marquez. Here he is. He's winning these races, whatever. We never see him go through any hard times or anything. He just wins in moto three left and right starts winning in moto two. And he's just on this sort of, taken for granted step stepladder to reps all honda and nobody liked that i was kind of on board at that point well most people <laughs> were like yo you are not earning this
2: okay now you're I understand, just running in I understand here stand the the wesley crusher angle here however this is reality And if you're that good, then hats off to you. Okay. For me, it was when he faltered. It's like, okay, well, he's figuring out Moto2. And okay, next season. Okay, he's making a bit of progress. He's always pulling ahead and he's imploded again. And then next season, it's like, okay, we're done. You know, that's when it's starting to fall apart for me.
1: Well, now that we see that he is sort of human and he's overcome things, we're on board, right? Now he's a real character, someone we can get behind and support. So a Marquez Marquez team not only is more likely now, it's never been more appealing. Mm. I never thought I would support the Marquez Marquez (laughs) Honda idea, but if he pulls off this Moto2 championship, ah, that's where I got to put my money down.
2: I gave up on this idea, like, 2 years ago and now you're making me reevaluate it and I I know we uh, all threw it out. I don't know. Now it just feels weird. But if he won
1: the Moto2 championship it adds up. And we've seen people get
2: factory rides for less. It's true. Well, we know he's not going into it this year. And that that's where it becomes an interesting thing because Oh, the Honda, Honda can ha- rip
1: up an, uh can rip up an Estrella Galacia concept and wipe their ass with it. Like they don't care. It's true.
2: Hmm. Yeah, that could happen. That could happen next year. It's very real. Hmm. O- okay. Anyway,
1: <laughs> that's. <laughs> I, this is a lot to take in. I know reopening the box on the Marquez Marquez Repsol team is crazy, but we know Honda really wants this for many reasons. They they don't believe as good as they think Alex Marquez can be. They don't believe he'll ever really beat Mark Marquez, and then the branding, the advertising, the extra sponsorship, the posters, the TV series, right. They're going to have, you know, they're going to have Repsol Marquez the flamethrower. They're going to have everything on this, right? Like teenage Marquez, girls. Marquez the lunchbox. Exactly. Marquez, Marquez the lunchbox. Teenage girls all over Europe will lose their minds a whole generation of women will get their period eight months early just because <laughs> they need to grow up to love these men in an even more intense way Th- that's what's going to happen okay
2: yeah I. whatever they do if that happens then in the next moto gp season for the sale opener when they do their whole cinematic writer introduction, I want to see Mark give Alex a knuckle sandwich. <laughs> it has to happen.
1: Well, that'd be the greatest thing that could happen to not just have them be sort of interesting characters on their own, but also have some sort of like weird, like Oasis dynamic. Like <laughs> what could be better? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think we've covered everything we could possibly cover about this round of GP that's of any real interest. Yeah. So uh, I think this is a good place to end it. We're running a little longer on this one. So let me bring up my sound of hair. Okay, so to close out this episode, reminding everyone... oh, you know what before we go out, and I'm gonna mention this for the next like three or four episodes in a row. We have identified something is that we call R6 behavior. And it's different than jixerism. It's usually a little bit more uh, conscious of who's watching you. You know, we mentioned earlier that let's say you get a group of guys in a, in a, I I think I put it this way, practicing your wheelies behind Walmart or wherever jixerism. Riding slow circles in front of Walmart, looking like you're about to do wheelies, R6 behavior, right? We're asking people to write in with examples and ask us, you know, submissions. Is this or is this not R6 behavior? (laughs) And it's different than jixerism, but they're very close. All right. And I think we've moved into an area where sport bikes are about the least popular they've ever been and kind of like on the fringe of motorcycle society that the people that are gravitating towards this now are of a really even more unusual breed than they used to be. And we are seeing some of the strangest sport bike behavior we've seen in decades And I want people to give us examples (laughs) and let's reflect on this. All right. So send us, yeah, yeah, your, give us your R6 behavior submissions. Also leave us ratings and reviews on whatever site your service or whatever you prefer.
2: Show us to get out the email address.
1: Yes. You send everything to contact at nokomoto.com. Stay. That's not right. Oh, sorry. Contact at dot com. Stay tuned for oh, watch Night Riders. Watch Night Riders. It's coming up next week. The next episode you hear,
2: uh, after, yeah,
1: no, because this drops next week, and in that same week, we're headed to AIM. So the Monday following AIM, the 29th or 30th, they'll hear
2: Night Riders.
1: That's what I said. So, not this. This is your last alert to watch Knight Riders.
2: Okay. Yes. Sorry.
1: All right. All right. Yes. <laughs> Jeez. Okay. Wow. All so right. I got
2: the timeline mixed up.
1: And then, yeah. So this is your last alert to watch Knight Riders.
2: And then. It's going to be hard. Yeah. Just understand. We don't expect this to be an easy task. It's it's going to take some dedication, but
1: it's ultimately worth it. <sighs> yeah. And so then there's nothing left to say, but stay safe and stay tuned. After Night Riders, expect a lot of AIM coverage, maybe even a little roundtable episode with Cleveland Moto and with the Misfits.
2: Mm.
1: We'll see what happens there. And there we go. Let's do the outro. And I don't want to die. Just want to ride on my motor.